Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and uh, we continue here at uh, Acton University and uh, in Grand Rapids. And with me right now, Father Raymond D'Souza, pastor of Holy Cross Parish in Ottawa. And since 2014, he served on the board of directors of Catholic Christian Outreach, the leading campus evangelization movement in Canada, and now chairs its board. He's also a senior fellow for Cardus, Canada's leading Christian think tank, and a senior fellow at Massey College at the University of Toronto. You can follow his many columns at fatherdesouza.com. We'll have that linked for you at our site. So good to see you again. Good to be back with you, Al. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's come to be that Acton University is not Acton University without Al Cresta here. So uh, how many <laughs> well, years have you been coming? At least I, ten. You know, at least ten. It has to be. Yeah, I, I, so. I just I've wondered that myself. Anyway, it's good uh, to have you here with us. Well, thank you. You're speaking here on the economy of Pope Francis, and so let's let's talk about that because you hear people say about Pope Francis, at least in the, in the United States, um, he's a leftist, he's a Marxist, he's a socialist, he's well, they don't they stop short of communist, but these are these are terms of deri- Although, these are terms uh, of yeah, derision. Yeah. Uh, the Holy Father did once joke, joking. He said, "You know, when I talk about these things, people say I'm a communist, but I'm not." <laughs> um, I think that uh, it's been. For your listeners, I mean, Acton University has dozens and dozens of lectures, and we do stuff on Catholic social teaching, yeah. and John Paul, and all the rest. So I am doing a lecture on the economy of Pope Francis. I think what's, to, to make it very simple, what's very useful to understand about how Pope Francis talks about the economy is that when he talks about the economy, he's often talking in a critical way about the priority of finance yeah. over, if you want to Productivity, say... Productivity, manufacturing... Uh, you know, he talks about the three T's in Spanish, which are work, land, and a roof, home. Mm. Uh, in Spanish, it's three T's. In English, obviously, it's not. Uh, and he says, you know, that's what the economy should be about, is, you know, work, yeah. land, home. And the financial sector of the economy can get so big yeah. and so dominant as to undermine those things. That's right. So, look. Are there disagreements between a lot of what Americans might think about how big the state should be and maybe how Europeans or Latin Americans think, obviously? But I think if you want to say what's the contribution that Pope Francis has made and why his words do resonate in parts of the world, even if not maybe the United States as much, is because there's a growing sense that there's something a little awry in the financial dominance. Mm-hmm. And of course, in the global financial crisis of 2008, yeah. everybody saw that. Yes, absolutely. In Argentina, you have to understand that there was a default. The government defaulted on their debts in 2000 to 2001. And, you know, middle class people had their savings evaporated. Yeah. You know, yeah. there, there were people who couldn't, who couldn't feed themselves. So the financial sector, and when uh, Pope Francis says a lot of things with, with his sort of trademark uh, you know the power power of his expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about the financial sector, and you know what's interesting now. I say the last say five years is an increasing number of people who would normally be considered on the free market side or right. small c conservative side are also sharing kind of some apprehensions about uh, the financial sector or the dominance. Marco Rubio. Well, there, there's many of them, yeah. Marco, Marco Rubio, Rubio just published a book, Decades of Decadence. And oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. and it's, it's amazing the critique he offers of this imbalance 
okay. uh, in the economy. Between I didn't know that. Yeah. So you got to come on Cresta to figure out what the latest <laughs> things are. It's called Decades of Decadence. Okay, yeah, thanks, Decades so. of Decadence. And yeah. I and think this is, um, what's funny about this is that there's within, quote, American conservatism, broadly speaking, there are many people who, this idea of work, land, home, mm-hmm. that's what they stand for. That's what yeah. they, that they think that's authentic conservatism. Yeah. Well, I, let me put it this way, about because, you know, Pope Francis had his 10th anniversary, uh, you know, just earlier this year yeah. in March. I would say, in a certain sense, the Holy Father's reception by the kind of voices you're talking about in 2013 was high, then it kind of went down. But, you know, I would say in the last, say, four or five years, for other factors to do with American politics and economics, you know, there's a certain resonance there. Now, let's just say off the bat that, in a way, uh, Pope Francis uh, does not have a systematic approach to the economy. So he makes critiques about this part or that part. But they're valid critiques, and they're getting arrested. And, of course, one of the most famous things he ever said right in the beginning was, you know, when someone dies in a park bench, no one notices. When the stock market goes down two points, it's on the front page. That's worth thinking about. And he's not wrong, certainly, to think about that. And that's a very prophetic way of of addressing it. He does have that kind of prophetic way. I agree. Um, Catholic social teaching is... uh, covers a, a lot, but it does so with a few basic principles. Um, is Catholics, can one make, can Catholic social teaching be equated with a system? No, uh, and, you know, the more systematic addresses of Catholic social teaching make it very clear there's not a Catholic economic policy and so forth. But there are principles, and uh, those principles are well-developed, and we can apply them. But there will be disagreements. There will be disagreements on, you know, how much control should the state have in education? How much control or how much redistribution should the state undertake? Is this particular way of alleviating poverty actually effective? What are the trade-offs that are there? So there's not a Catholic... uh, policy, but there are principles. So, for example, if you say, look, we've got a pretty productive economy, there are people who don't participate in it, they're poor, and we just are not going to be concerned about them, that's not compatible with the Catholic faith, with Catholic uh, social teaching. It's also not compatible to say, well, we've got an outcome we want, and if we have to trample over uh, basic human rights to get there, that's just the way it's going to be. That's also not compatible with Catholic social teaching. Um, I think today, as opposed to, say, 25 years ago, uh, there are more voices that are arguing that, oh, this is the Catholic way to organize politics or economics. That used to be something that would be, say, at Acton University or Acton Institute, we would say, you know, that's a, a critique that comes often from what we say the the left the left yeah. progressive left and they want to say that if you if you're Catholic you have to organize society this way, um, well you know church is very big history is very long right. so <laughs> things come around and I think today what's interesting intellectually interesting is that now you get some of those uh, critiques from the uh, if you want to say the the small c conservative Catholic yeah. right and say that there here's a program that the faith gives so th- so in the past there was all this talk about the dangers of liberation theology yeah. um, do we have something equivalent to that on the right now 
I don't know if it, it might be too strong to use that or to say that that's happened because liberation theology was a was a big, 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 big thing yeah. Uh, yeah. that uh, attracted a lot of people. Probably the majority of theological thinking or the preponderance, rather, in in, in Latin America sure. in that way required some very serious. Uh, Clarifications, purifications from Rome under John Paul and then Cardinal Ratzinger. Um, on the right, whatever that might be, that it's not at that stage yeah. at all. Okay. However, if you say that at the heart of liberation theology's error, there's a lot of good things in it, but at the heart of its error was putting political or economic categories above the faith. So the gospel then becomes interpreted in political or economic categories. <laughs> Is that happening today in some sectors? I think it is, is where you uh, you begin to get frustrated with when you look around and say this is the world is in a is in a bad way and the way out of it is to uh, to use political and economic levers to move the gospel ahead. And that temptation has been around since the time of the gospel. Yes, yes. So, and so so that also becomes the mark of fidelity. If yeah, you, it you, could be. Yeah, you assign, yeah. you know, are you part of this right, basic right. understanding of the way yes, the world so. works? Yeah, so. um, and, the, the, the and, and, and categories other than the gospel take priority over them, which yeah. can be a problem. At certain periods in recent history, it's been a problem mostly, as you mentioned, on the left. But it's not, a, it's not like that's the only place it can. Right. And now we're seeing things on the yeah. conservative side. Yeah. And I, again, in, in the United States, there's not much. We don't have much memory of dealing with uh, monarchies, right? <laughs> you know, I, so we kind of a, a short-term memory here, um, and probably growing more short-term. I'm afraid that that, that uh, even some uh, s- significant facts of American history would not be as well known as they ought to be known. It, it's yeah. It, this is a, one of my major <laughs> irritants, one of my pet peeves that I pet a lot. Okay. So I'll, I'll avoid it's going well, there. It's a, a well-petted peeve. Is <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Our loss of understanding of what the American experiment was about and the thinking of the founding fathers on this. And um, Pope Francis followed John Paul II and Benedict XVI, and he pointed out at the time, we had had a world-class moral philosopher in John Paul II. Mm-hmm. We had had a world-class biblical theologian in Benedict XVI. And at the beginning, it was thought with, with um, Pope Francis, we're going to get kind of the, the third in the Trinity here. He's going to be the world-class you know, evangelist, uh, knows how to talk with people on the street. Uh, uh, and in the United States, anyways, the love affair uh, that we had with the papacy uh, cooled down after about a year of Pope Francis Um, because people didn't know half the time when controversial matters came up exactly where he stood. Can you tell me, is that a personal trait of his that he likes to, um, does he, he seems to, like ambiguity. Well, sometimes people don't like what he says because it's too direct. It's not <laughs> ambiguous enough. Uh, I would say this, that if you go to Deus Caritas Est, uh, Bendix first encyclical yeah. about his love, in number 25, you can tell I've talked about it a lot because I know what number it is off the top yeah. of my, off by heart. Um, he said the church has three missions or three munera, three aspects. 
the preaching of the gospel, the celebration of the sacraments, and the service of the poor, right. diaconia. Right. And you could say, we'll put Benedict on the celebration of the sacraments, the liturgy, put John Paul on the proclamation of the gospel. And I think the great potential of Pope Francis was that he was going to lift up that diaconia, the service of the poor. Now, yeah, yeah. That, that has been going on since the beginning. The, you know, the greatest phenomenon in religious life in the 20th century was the missionaries of charity who look after the most wretched on the face of the earth. So that's going on, and that's what his great potential was to offer. And um, I'll say something in yeah, a minute yeah, about why that potential was a little bit, little bit frustrated. We'll take, we'll take a break, come back and continue the conversation with Father Raymond D'Souza. Started out talking about the economy of Pope Francis and now continuing on with other matters of his pontificate. I'm Al Cresto. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father Raymond D'Souza. We've been talking about the um, Pope Francis. uh, Started out talking about the economy of Pope Francis. And now, uh, towards the end of the last segment, I was pointing out that many people who anticipated Pope Francis to be kind of the third in a a, a threesome with John Paul II and Benedict XVI, a lot of people were disappointed. Um, But you were pointing out from... 25 of uh, God is Love, Benedict's first encyclical, Mm -hmm. that there are three, he mentions three responsibilities of the church. One is the preaching of the gospel, the celebration of the sacraments, and the uh, elevation of the poor, service to the poor. And you can identify uh, Benedict with the sacrament, you can identify John Paul II with the preaching, and you can identify Pope Francis with the third. 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 And, And yet, Again, like I said, after a year, at least in the United States, the more conservative uh, of us were feeling not so well, warm. Yeah. I think so that, t- talk to me about this. Well, first of all, I, like I, this, I think that, it's, that part of that reaction is good, is that you know the, the preaching witness of John Paul, the liturgical sacramental event, was very strong. Um, it's a fair criticism to say, well, you know, in a prosperous country, in a rich country, talking about the poor can be a bit uncomfortable, and so God bless him that he did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he did raise up the diacony of the church's service of the poor. Some of his magnificent gestures of bringing the, the wretched of the earth yeah. to the world's uh, attention, I, I think he's done that. Going to the peripheries. Yes, yeah. the, the Where thing. there's been a bit of difficulty is that some of the comments or some of the decisions seem to have in some cases they've seemed to have because they actually have eroded a bit of, say, the preaching clarity of John Paul or the liturgical uh, clarity of Benedict. And so, if let me put it this way, had he, I'm not saying he should have, but had he done the diaconia, I think you'd have got a, you'd have pricked consciences, but it would have been helpful. I think, you know, on the 10th anniversary celebrated a few months ago, Pope Francis, what's become clear is that he's not principally a pastor he's the universal pastor of the church no doubt about that sure as much as he's a jesuit spiritual director Hmm. and i think if i can use an example every couple of years the pope says something absolutely uh piercing about pets and he says people spend more time with their pets than they don't have children and it gets a universal reaction because people feel he's picking on them 
that's the kind of thing a spiritual director says one on one. Says, "What's what's with you and your dog? That's he's got. <laughs> he's way too much part of your life. Yeah. You haven't got married. You haven't had children. Come on." Now. A pastor would never say that from the pulpit because, sure enough, there's Mrs. McGillicuddy, yeah, who's a widow, yeah. and her cat is the only sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, person or thing, not even a person. He's a he's a spirit. He speaks with that kind of uh, specificity and sometimes challenging your categories of a spiritual director. Um, and those of us who are both spiritual directors and pastors know we don't say one in the pulpit. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's one way to understand. And you know, but that all being said, I I think for Americans, it's not. I'm not saying they're wrong or right, but being a little bit upset or like shaken up a bit, um, you know, it can, it can be spiritually good. I think the problem, sure. to be honest, for the United States is that the the shaking up, if you want, on the religious side coincided with a kind of massive shaking up on the political cultural yeah, side absolutely and the whole thing you know it's 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 just all too much at once you know? yeah no absolutely there's no doubt that uh at the time that america was going through this political turmoil uh the rise of donald trump and the movement that's associated with him that uh, occurs again with pope, the concerns about pope francis yeah. and is he uh, going to be, you know, how's he going to relate to John Paul II and Benedict XVI? He's going to uphold their legacy. And, um, you know, and he seems to have not gone out of his way to um, tag, tag himself right. as the third of three. No. Yeah. And also that, you know, if people look back fondly of a certain age now about, uh, you know, uh, John Paul II and Ronald Reagan in the early 80s, well, Maybe uh, Francis is not John Paul. He's not. And we get one of those every 500 years. <laughs> right. But, you know, also, it's been a long time since Ronald Reagan. I mean, you know, Donald Trump was not Ronald right. Reagan. Right. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> either. So I can, I can understand where you get a bit of, uh, it just, it's all, it just seems, uh, there's too much destabilization. And being shaken up when you're confident of your foundation can be good because yeah. you're confident of the foundation and you're shaken up a bit to go forward to look at things right. freshly. But if you're being shaken up and your foundation it seems uh, weak, it can be very, yeah. it, it's destabilizing. And yeah. I think a lot of Americans and certainly a lot of conservative Americans and certainly a lot of American Catholics of a more conservative bent have just found uh, the last X number of years yeah. destabilizing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, there's no indication that uh, he plans any major changes in his pontificate. I mean, mm. I would think that at, at this age, he's going to un- continue to unpack right. what yeah. he, he already has there. Um, you hear people say, now this is a, this is a kind of off topic, but you hear people fearfully saying, I'm afraid for the next uh, conclave, you know. Uh, he's appointed all these cardinals, and he's going to take the church in a direction that is going to be pro-homosexual, pro-Marxist. You mean the next pope? Yeah. Well, first of all, we've got good advice in the scriptures. Don't worry about tomorrow, today. We've got a lot of stuff. Honestly, in this point in history, we have more than enough worries for the day. But people, people ought not to worry about things they can't control. But Pope Francis, if you happen to be 
very disturbed by Pope Francis and think that that was that you don't like a lot of things. Well, he was appointed a cardinal by John Paul II, so right. maybe the cardinal that Pope Francis <clears throat> appointed will be in the same. We don't know, right. and we. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about what comes next because we can't figure that out exactly. But also, if if you're of the view that the things going on are sufficiently uh, concerning, you're not the only one who thinks that, and there will be others who yeah. will uh, who will also see that as something to be uh, be corrected. So I, I think your advice about realizing we don't control outcomes here. Right. It, yeah. We don't, really don't have. We don't even get a vote. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, so I would, don't I, think politically I, about I, I, this. I would make a point, Al, that and this is going to be a shameless plug for Cresta in the afternoon, <laughs> is that if you listen to uh, your program, you're less likely to become agitated and frantic yeah. uh, without mentioning other alternatives there's a lot of media around where you can get worked up because you just spent two hours in your home or on the radio or whatever listening to someone uh who's decided who is personally agitated and thinks that he's he serves uh he serves by agitating others and we've got a lot of that in culture in sports in politics and uh you know we don't need so much we, we don't need to have our faith agitated the same way, but th- th- those options are there, and people have to be prudent about what they, uh, you know, if they allow their peace to be disturbed. Yeah, very good. Thank you, uh, Canada. Yeah, tell us what, what you know, ministering in Canada. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most difficult things that you deal with there? I, I would say there's political controversies. You know, as we know, you as you as your listeners probably know, we have a very bad law on youth, euthanasia, yeah, or yeah. I guess the erosion of a law on euthanasia is probably the best way to put it. So there, those are things that get public attention and and deservedly so. There, we have a, we have a very bad situation on that. Uh, but it's not that different than the United States. That okay. you know, the challenge of secularism. Uh, the challenge of, uh, you know, comfortable prosperity where religion isn't supposed to change too much. We face that. I would say if there's something that's new in the last few years, I would say that there's a sense in Canada, as in the United States, about um, the old certainties. I'm not talking about moral certainties, just certainties if I can buy a house, certainties I can get a job, certainties, those things. Though people are feeling very anxious about that. Wow. And that in some creates a lot of anger yeah. and a spirit of you know burn it all down in some it provokes uh looking at deeper questions um i don't think that the deeper questions option is the majority option right, right. but I, that's something that say 10 years ago uh you didn't see as much but you know there's a lot of there's people are not as confident in the future yeah that's and true in the United States it's too. True here, yeah. and that provides a, a, perhaps an avenue uh, for religion. But look, we're very similar countries, and you know, if you you know uh, parish, you know, most dioceses in the United States are looking at closing parishes, except yeah. in the immigrant areas where they're expanding. So those things are are similar in Canada. I would say probably in Canada we've had you know our federal government. For the last, uh, since 2015, it's been, I would say, you know, uh, unfriendly, if I could use a (laughs) a, a weak term, to traditional religious views. And, you know, eight years of that has got some people a little bit, uh, you know, 
discouraged. Yeah, certainly. yeah, yeah. It's it makes a difference whether those uh, in power uh, regard yeah. the church as um, you know an ally or uh, at least a friendly neighbor, right. and uh, those who regard the church as potential obstacle. You know, yeah, so. and our you know our federal government has been in more towards the third yeah. of those options, yeah. and so that's got that's a bit uh, a bit discouraging. Let but me ask you. Let me ask you one question. I want to make sure I get to the uh, synod on synodality is coming up, and the German synodal path. Right. Is the German synodal path going anywhere? Well. It's gone a long way, actually. You know, they've wrapped it up. They're yeah. finished, yeah. and they've passed their resolutions. Uh, the Holy Father, now four years ago this month, four years ago, June 2019, said, don't do this right. in this way. Right. They didn't pay attention. He sent other people to tell them, don't do this in this way. They've done it. <laughs> now the question is, what is gonna, what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, there, are gonna, there are some things that are going to go on in Germany that are not permitted. Okay. That's discouraging, and in a global media media environment, it's going to be uh, divisive. We can lament that without getting. Uh, let's not lose our historical pr- uh, perspective. Yeah. In May, things took place in parishes in Canada, nineteen seventies, and the United States that yep. shouldn't have been done. So it's not a good thing. We can lament it, but we shouldn't. Uh, yeah. We shouldn't head for the lifeboats. Right. The big question is, and this is my own view from two years ago, is when the Pope launched the Synod on Synodality process, I thought then that part of his thinking was if we have a global process with a lot of talk and consultation and documents, we'll dump the German thing in there and we'll mix it all It'll around. Wash out. Yeah. We'll mix it all around yeah. and uh, we'll see what comes out. I think he did, I think the Holy Father. Uh, underestimated uh, how mischievous the Germans have been. Okay, but let's be very clear: the Germans, the bishops on the east, the Polish bishops, the bishops on the west, the Nordic bishops have said this is not Catholic. This is not on. Right. So, while we can be concerned about Germany, uh, we I don't think we should be of the view that this is an infection that's spreading all over. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it may be, but. The bishops closest to them have taken very strong positions, and now it's all get dumped into the Synod in October, and we'll see what comes out the other end. Yeah. Father, thank you. Always Great. love talking with you. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Al. I look forward to it next year in Grand Rapids, as they <laughs> only say at Acton University. How's that? <laughs> very good. Father Raymond D'Souza, I'm Al Creston.